All right, here we are um, back with Jackie's Hand of Horror, and today's show is Stranger Danger, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some self-defense and uh, things that we love with the empowerment movement, but first we're going to start off with our movie reviews, and we went all the way back to 1979 with our first movie review, trailer review, When a Stranger Calls. Now, both Tanya and I were, are, have seen this film, but uh, it's been a long time. And so we watched the trailer. Um, by the way, it's, it's Tanya and I today. Hello. <laughs> and me. Hello. <laughs> so, Tanya, what do you think of this film? Or what do you think of the, the trailer? trailer? Well, um, I, when I, I saw this film many, many years ago, so it's time to revisit it. I don't remember a lot of it, but I remember enjoying it and it having some thrills and chills and uh, things. But um, the trailer, I dig Carol Kane. I'm a big fan. Um, and the trailer just felt a little flat. I would see it for her, but it felt flat. And I don't remember the movie being like that. I, I guess maybe just something about the trailer. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's kind of hard to say because it's perspective too. It was 1979, mm -hmm. and film has come so far since then mm -hmm. that it's kind of hard to put yourself back into a place of fear and then being so young too. Because I saw it, I think, well, I was out of high school, so I was, I was, was I? Oh no, I'm that old. <laughs> oh no, that's a horror story. Oh, give me a moment. No, okay. Wow. <laughs> 1979. So um, I remember being terrified of this movie. It was scary as hell because, you know, she's trapped in this, she's in this house, she's babysitting. But watching the trailer, it just kind of cracked me up. It's like he's telling her, he's calling her and telling her to go check on the kids. And you, know, yeah. you get the feeling that he's in the house or he's somewhere close by. But then when she calls the police, they tell her to run and to get out. Well, what about the kids? Yeah. What about the children? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought the trailer was pretty stupid. Yeah. But I mean, it was just like little clips that weren't connected and kind of didn't give like a full. Because I remember in the, the movie, you know, we see her. We're with her most of the times. So we're kind of seeing what she goes through. And, and yeah. the trailer just has like a little bit of that. Yeah. So you don't really get a, a clear idea. I mean, I don't know if it could be because the trailer is from back then and people have different expectations. Although I, I, I don't like when a trailer is basically just like cliff notes of the film. Yeah. Um, but this was just a little disjointed or something. I would I would still see it because I adore Carol Kane. And it and I I do like horror movies and I like that it's like that whole like calling from inside the house but taken to the next level where it's the whole premise of the thing. Um, so yeah, I would see it, but I probably would have had lower expectations than what the film would actually deliver. Yeah, the trailer doesn't convince me that much on the film, but I would want to see the film. So um, gosh, I'm gonna give it like three quarters of a thumb up. <laughs> I can I can take with that. Okay. So the next film we looked at is a more recent film, but it's still what ten years old. It's called The Strangers. It's with uh, Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman, and I thought they were both really good in it. Uh, I I liked them. I thought as actors and working together, the trailer looked good. But I'll tell you this: I would not see this movie. I do not like that kind of horror. It just makes me really anxious. It freaks me out. People walking around with like, like masks on their head, like pillowcase pipe. Oh, hell no. <laughs> hell no. This is like, so one time a friend and I went to, to see a movie and we were just like, hey, let's just go see whatever's playing. And the movie that was starting was Open Water. We're like, okay, let's go see this. We go to sit down. About halfway into the movie, I realize this is one of my irrational fears, is accidentally being left out in open water. So I turned to my friend, and I'm like, hey, I just realized 
whispering to her in the theater, this is one of my irrational fears. Why am I in this movie? And she turns to me and goes, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like that, you know, it just gives you that. It's like an anxiety, right? Yeah. And And I like horror movies for like kind of over top cool stuff and some, and like a scary thrill, but certain things are like too much of an, an anxiety, right? And I, I think this movie looks exactly like that because if open water is an irrational fear of mine, strangers, I feel like is a rational fear of mine. Oh yeah. It's entirely plausible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Somebody you don't know might want to hurt you. Yeah. And they're going to bring their kids with him. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah. whole family of the whole family. creepy strangers. I mean, is that what you saw in the trailer? Is that what I saw? There are, I mean, there like were a family, like a gang of them or something. Yeah, different ages, Each different ages, and male ones. and female. It or maybe like they're that. just being equal opportunity <laughs> because they couldn't show us racial differences, so they showed us different <laughs> variety. Well, I think that was part of the fear factor of it. Is like who could these people be? Cause this is oh. so strange. It's not just like a group of, of, you know, 20 something men or 30 something men. Yeah. It's there's women and yeah, that's too much. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm it, not seeing it. It definitely seems like, I mean, it, there might be more to it. That would be interesting. It looks like it's well-made. Yes. It definitely seems like a movie that's just going to trigger all my anxieties. Right. So I'm going to give it a total thumbs up because it looks like a really good and really terrifying movie. But you guys go see it and you don't let us know. Don't don't tell me. I don't need to know. (laughs) The term stranger danger has been associated with the warning that all strangers are potentially dangerous to kids. Now, I personally choose to not live in a fearful world or advocate for all to walk in fear of unfamiliar people, but I do encourage that everyone be more present and more prepared with at least a couple of tools to bring out in case they're in a situation where you or somebody that you're with may feel unsafe. So with me today is Bill Vigil. Vigil. Uh, Tell us who you are. I mean, just basically, I know that, that you're a martial artist, you're a massage therapist, but just tell the audience. Well, my name is William Vigil, and I started in martial arts when I was six years old. And I've studied judo, did 16 years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, boxing, fencing, wrestling, heavy weapons, sword, uh, spear, uh, fighting multiple opponents, fighting in small spaces, um, and I'm also, along that way, I became a master of Kung Fu. So I'm an eighth-degree black belt in Kung Fu, which makes me a master. That was about 25 years ago. Um, and along the way, I did a lot of things that taught me how the world works. So you hire yourself out for various things. You become a bouncer, or you uh, do security work, or you become a bodyguard for a while, <laughs> or maybe you step on the other side of the law and you do some things that uh, that you normally wouldn't be very proud of as you get older. But what you do is you learn a lot about violence, and that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about people who want to perpetrate violence to get something that they want. They want to threaten you with violence. So when we talk about fear, uh, I think fear is a healthy thing. Because it keeps an organism looking around itself. You know, we live in a world now where everyone has their head down. And I would say that if you're going to ask me about stranger dangers, I would say in all the teaching that I've done, thousands of people, seminars for women, seminars for children, seminars for police, for uh, unnamed special forces in North Carolina, all this stuff. I would say that it all comes down really to the same principle. And in order for people to remember it, I use a little acronym. It's a very easy one. WAR. W-A-R. Anybody can remember that. And it's W. You must be willing. Okay? You must be able. And you must be ready. So willing means that you have the mindset that you will do it when it happens. You're prepared when something happens. You're ready to face, willing to face it. Able means that you're physically capable of doing it. So the first one is your heart. The first, second one is your body, right? The last one, to be ready, means to be vigilant. 
always be watching. So if you are willing, if you are able, and if you are ready, then you can defend yourself. If any of these things are missing, then you're behind an eight ball and uh, you're going to be in trouble. Let me give you an example. So you leave the movie. It's 10 o'clock at night and you want to text your friends and all of this stuff. Well, that's the time that someone's going to get you. When you're walking from one venue to your car, that's prime spot for someone who's going to attack you. If it were me, I wanted your money, I'd wait till you walk to your car and I'd surprise you from behind if you didn't have your self set up properly. Let me explain what that means. When you leave, you put your phone in the pocket, put your keys in your hand, put the key, the driving key in your hand. You look around before you leave the venue. You continue to look around the parking lot like the Terminator as you walk. Not with an ugly, horrible face or whatever, but you just swing your head from side to side. You make that 270 sweep over one shoulder, over the other. And before you walk down the aisle where your car is, you make sure that there's no one walking toward you. And then you open the door of your car and you get in quickly and you lock the doors behind you. Now, if you practice that day and night, you put your phone in, the, in, the, in your pocket and you stop looking down and you always look around, you'll do two things for yourself. Number one, you'll see anything that's coming before it comes. You won't trip, you won't fall, you won't bump into anybody. The other thing you'll do is you're going you're gonna to communicate to people around you that you are aware. I promise you that just the keeping your head up and looking around makes you less of a victim because I can't get close to you to get you before you see me and start making moves or panic or run away. I want the element of surprise. I want to get as close to you as possible, whether I have to talk to you and ask you questions or whether I have to suck you in some other way or whether I have to stalk you, one way or another. So you must be aware. The next thing is you've got to, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to have a plan. You, even if it, you don't have to take martial arts to have a plan, you have to say to yourself, okay, if this happens to me now, if this person steps this way and does this thing as we're approaching each other on the sidewalk, I'm going to do this. And you have that in your mind. And you prepare it every time. So you're running this algorithm. Whenever you feel the fear, you make a plan. Right? Does that make sense? So yes. instead of feeling like a victim, like the unknown, you go, this is how this is going to go down if something happens right now. Right? At least you have a plan. At least there's one thing you can do. And then you must be willing, you must be able to do that plan. You must have some physical way to do that, whether it's you put your mace in your hand when you leave or whether it's your keys in your hand, whether you have a taser, which I highly recommend, anything like that. Um, if you feel that you, wanna, you want to uh, uh, be a physical person that way, then I would suggest you try to take some kind of martial art. Okay? Um, and take something that is not striking-based. Take something that is grabbing and choking and poking and, and, and kicking the nuts and all of these kinds of things that are very dangerous. For the simple reason that once you punch somebody in the hand in the in the face with your hand, you are not going to be driving your car. You are not going to be using your keys because you have a broken hand. Okay. Oh. So in these kinds of situations, we never use our hands as, as clubs because that's going to it, even if you think about it, if you're a policeman or in the military and you weren't able to access your gun because your hand was broken, you could be in big trouble. So we never use our hands. Use our elbows. Use our knees. Um, use our hand, fingers like claws, but we would never punch because that would break our hands. Um, so those are kind of some of the things. Now, there's other things you can do that, let's say it's already happened, a person's in front of you or that you realize you're being confronted. There's one kind of startling fact that I learned that I always communicate, and I teach it in my classes when, when, I, when I teach assault prevention. It's very difficult to do, and you'd want to practice it before you use it because the first time it feels very weird and authentic. But the truth is, is that when rapists are... Uh, arrested and then they're interviewed afterward there's one thing that a woman or a man can do typically we're talking in, in, you know male aggression against a female there's one thing that the female can do that will deter that man more than anything else startling enough and no one guesses it and that's to raise your voice loudly angrily and use curse words wow. as disgusting as you can possibly make it Angry, spitting, looking straight in the eye because it discourages that power play that he wants. It's not about sex. It's about power. And when you've been to cringe and beg, it just makes him feel better. But when you look him in the eye like his mother might look at him and call him a piece of shit and what the fuck are you doing here? Okay, get the fuck away from me or you're going to really get it. It gives him a bad feeling inside. It makes him think maybe this snake doesn't want to get, maybe this one's poisonous. Right? Wow. And if you don't have something with you, you put your hand in your in your purse and you go, come on, motherfucker, come over here. Come on. 
You see? And that makes that guy think twice. And it's a very hard thing to do. So you really have to practice it. And I know most people out there will think that they're going to do it the first time. But let me tell you something. I teach a lot of these seminars of the years, many thousands of people. And I teach it. I teach this technique where imagine yourself laying on the ground, it's a classic situation, and someone is sitting on your chest and they're choking you. Okay? Now there's a very quick way out it's so fast and it's it doesn't matter strength wise it's a very clever way to get out but here's what happens i lay everyone down people sit on their chest my students sit on the chest of the people who are learning huh? so there's someone on top of you that feels aggressive strong and then we practice they practice the move and they feel confident about the move they can throw the guy off and they feel really good about themselves and then i say this i say okay now he's really going to choke you. he's going to close off your air and if you don't stop him in three minutes you'll be unconscious that's going to happen right now, okay? So now the panic is high in the room. And then I tell everyone, maybe 10% of you are going to, at that moment, you don't even know it yet because you've never faced this moment, but 10% of you are going to freeze and die. You're going to die in this class tonight because you're not going to be able to do the move. Go. And I promise you, if there are 20 people in the room, there are two or three of them who lay there like deer to headlight with their hands laying there and they die. They stare at the person, their eyes tear up. They just killed themselves. They have the tools they need, right? So they're able, but they're not willing and they're not ready, you see? So tools are missing. So then it takes a while for people, I mean, if you've never been choked or punched in the face or your eye gouged or your, your, you know, uh, your head slammed on the ground, um, uh, it's not like the movies. That happens, and then there's 30 seconds of you trying to, if you're not used to it, you trying to figure out what just happened. And in 30 seconds, you get stabbed a lot. You get dragged away. You get thrown in a car. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot to think about. Um, if, you really th- if you're in a violent place, you need, to get, you need to get somewhere where you're going to get banged around a little bit in a martial arts class so that when you take a punch or somebody grabs you, you're not going to be startled the first time. If that's not available to you, then I would suggest you use the next best thing. You use mace. You use uh, taser is very good because it makes a sound. Most most attacks happen at night. And you go, that thing. Come on, let's go, asshole. Let's go, man. Uh, guys will stop. They'll, they'll, they'll think differently. They'll back up, especially if they do have that room, right? Remember, there's, we always talk about fight or flight. You know, that's not true. Not even true in the animal world. It's fight, submission, or flight right? So they're looking for the submission, which is the largest category. If you think about it, guys get mad and they yell at each other and they both kind of submit and back away. That happens more often than people fighting or people running. So while fight or flight are at the ends of a spectrum, most of the time it's some kind of submission, right? Whether the victim submits or the, or the attacker submits or something like that. So the one thing that I'm, that, that uh, uh, maybe this conversation opens up is, is that um, the thing that uh, other masters, other martial artists come to me for is the psychological aspect of it. Um, if the conversation were longer, then I could begin to give you the examples of how you get into your opponent's mind and make him move in a certain way. It's almost like Jedi tricks, but they're very simple, basic psychological things that if he doesn't know what you're doing, he'll mirror you, you know, these kinds of yeah. things. So um, that's basically kind of, you just want a few minutes. That's yeah. basically in a nutshell that's what amazing. I would say. Some kinds of ways that you might think about how to keep yourself safe. Um, you know, there's four or five ideas there that, that uh, might help. That was amazing, really. And and from my point of view, I have to say I'm very proud of myself because I've taken a couple different martial arts mm-hmm. with my son. and um, But for reasons out of my control, I wasn't able to continue. Like we moved right. the first time right. and then... We found another school and another discipline, and then the teacher moved. Right. But we made it to, like, Blue Belt both times. And But what it gave me was that sense of empowerment, just that mm-hmm. sense of confidence right. that I could handle myself, and it gave me tools. And I realized that I had tools before that. But right. almost everything you said, I do. And, and I do feel safe when I'm out in public. Yeah, it should not be... Uh, talking on the phone or looking down or right. unless unless you are uh, so confident that that will not happen um, 
Yeah, like you're, you know, you're in a safe place, like at a family reunion where you know correct. very yeah, little correct. is going to. No, happen. those kinds of places. But what yeah. I'm talking about is I'm talking about those transitional spaces. Yeah, that's where people are attacked. Yes. They're not attacked in a movie theater. They're yeah. not attacked uh, in the football game. Mm-hmm. They're attacked leaving the football game. They're attacked mo- leaving On the, the way movie to theater. The car. Right. They're not attacked. Most often, not attacked in the bar. They're attacked outside the bar. Or whatever. The bar fight yes. is more mutual kind of a thing. That's another conversation. Yeah. The one, the one other thing I, that I might say about this is. Um, that when you look at the human body and you think about how you might attack someone or whatever in a life-threatening situation, there are only three targets, okay? There's the throat, the eyes, and the groin. Everything else is uh, to set up the throat, the eyes, and the groin. Okay. So you punch him in the throat. You punch him in the stomach so you can get to his eyes. Or you, you, uh, We never punch the face. We never punch the body. Uh, it's, uh, that's all movie myth and sport. Okay. The reason, think about sport for a minute. They, uh, if you're a boxer, you're not allowed to bite, you're not allowed to gouge, you're not allowed to kick the, the headbutt, you're not allowed to, uh, 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 you know, kick in the groin. All the things that would stop it this fast, right? That's why they don't want you to do those things. Even in mixed martial arts, you can't bite, you can't hit the groin, you can't. So we bite and hit the groin. We go right to the places where all the sports and everything are not prepared to go. Got you it. see? Yes. Now, what that does for you, you're taking this called taking it to the final solution. So, you know, Imagine you're in a confrontation with someone and uh, uh, they spilled uh, um, water on you and then he's, st- uh, you know, and then uh, you get up and you poke him in the eye. That's taking it right to the end. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So we're not doing it over water, but somebody pushes you against a car or somebody comes too close to you to grab somebody by the hair and jam your thumb as far as you can in their eye while screaming and try to bite their nose. Uh, that's <laughs> nothing. Nothing stops a uh, confrontation faster. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. It used to be uh, young young men would always ask me, uh, "Show me some kung fu! Show me some kung fu!" You know, all the time. And so what I did is I I I, uh, I this had this horrible sort of nose to nose kind of lesson. Now, men do this thing where we almost are you know our chests and our faces are right together you know like this like well before we were going to prepare to fight or whatever. And for me that's again that's a transition. If you imagine the guy is coming out of his confidence into a transitional space with me, right? You see that? So we're meeting each other in a, in a, in a common space. And then his, his idea, he has an idea in his mind of how the fight's going to go. So he's going to get in my face. I'm going to push each other and fight and argue and everything like that. But he gets in my face and I finish it. See, like that. That, that I decided before a fight happens. So the way we do that is you hook around behind his neck. You knee him in the groin. You catch him by the, by the back of the ear so you can stick your thumb in his uh, eye. And you bite his throat. <laughs> All at one time. It happened okay. like, like that. <laughs> That's a whole nother That's another podcast. Thing. Oh my God. But anyway, we might have to do another podcast they don't, on this. They don't ask you anymore to uh, to uh, show them Kung Fu after Yeah, okay. That. Yeah, I can imagine. So. Did I well, answer your questions Bill. tonight? Oh, like, absolutely. This Jackie, was... thank you for inviting me to uh, you your so... podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was a blast. I mean, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Bill. Bye. Today's interview is with Kat Long. She is a five-time world kickboxing champion and mixed martial artist fighter with black belts in both Japanese Aikido and Chinese Kung Fu, along with training in several other styles of martial arts. She's appeared in film and was actually the, uh, the stunt double in Batman Returns for Michelle Pfeiffer. So in our visit, uh, I found her to be gentle, humble, and a very interesting woman. I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I did. I'm just so honored to be here to meet you in your home. I know you're a humble person, but you're a badass. So, <laughs> so well, let's start with the badassery part of it that um, that people can identify with to find you online and and learn more about you well um in that aspect i had been studying martial arts for a long time and then got into kickboxing during the my my training in martial arts um i don't know if you want me to go into detail about that a little bit yeah i mean give us give us the you know 
the short okay. version. <laughs> Let's just say I started martial arts when I was 14. Uh-huh. A friend of mine in, I was a freshman in high school, and a friend of mine invited me to an Aikido class on March Air Force Base. Okay. Now, I lived right next to March Air Force Base, and the West Gate was literally right, right there where my trailer park, the trailer park I lived in. So she brings me onto the base, and I, I meet the instructor, who was this big Buddha, this big giant black guy, the sweetest, gentlest, kindest man with the most nurturing and loving. I mean, he created such an environment that you, you, you immediately felt welcome when you walked in. And it wasn't so much that I clung to martial arts for that. I, I clung to martial arts because of the environment that he created when I was a kid that I did not have at home. And I craved it and wanted it and, and really enjoyed being part of something that um, really welcomed me as a, as a family member, literally. Yes. So I studied Aikido for three or four years. And then I met somebody who um, does is a black belt in Kung Fu Sansu and also a black belt in Judo. Okay. I think he did Taekwondo too. Just a bunch of stuff. But um, when I met him, I was 17. And we did a lot of training in the parks and stuff like that and doing Kung Fu. And at first, when I, when I was introduced to Kung Fu, I thought it was awfully violent. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I stuck with it because I liked the guy and we became boyfriend and girlfriend. And, and when I was 19, I... When I was 17, I, I was living on my own. I was finishing out, starting my senior year of high school. I was on my second year of college. So I was taking college classes at night, high school during the day, working a job. I had to put myself up. At, um, I was renting a room out of somebody's house because yeah. my parents ran away from home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, they ran away from home. So I had to you know, get a job and continue school and mm. whatever else, find a place to live. Uh, long story short, we opened a school when I was 19, so I quit college, and we ran the business. I was teaching Kung Fu and waiting tables, and we both struggled for a long time, but eventually we figured it out. And I kept going to these martial arts tournaments to compete in just forms, or kata, however you're familiar with it, just to dance type thing, choreographed movements. Mm -hmm. And there was this girl who kept challenging me over and over and over to do this point fighting with her, which in my mind at that time was just a glorified game of tag. There was no substance to it. I didn't feel that there was any value to it. It just taught you bad habits. It taught you to purposely miss your strike as opposed to follow through on it. I hope that makes sense. It does. Good. Yeah. So... Long story short, her instructor called my instructor, who was also my boyfriend, and asked if I'd be willing to do an exhibition kickboxing bout with her. She had done kickboxing for two years. I'd never done it. And I had 10 days to learn how. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to a boxing gym <laughs> and uh, learned basic boxing punches and then fought her. And we beat the snot out of each other. And that's where I fell in love with the adrenaline rush. I had never been so scared in my life, but I realized a lot about myself is that the more afraid I am, the faster and harder I hit. You know, I, the sharper I, you are, the clearer. You bet. Yeah. Exactly. And it wow. was it was fuel to the it was fuel for me. Okay. And that's how I got in, that's how I got started into kickboxing. I was already a black belt in Kung Fu Sansu and already a black belt in Aikido. Uh -huh. And getting into kickboxing, um, you know, I had a few amateur fights, and then I had a few boxing amateur fights, and and then my boyfriend at the time said, do you want to take this seriously? you want to become a world champion? I said, sure. I didn't know what the hell it meant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no I, idea. I don't think most people do when they start on a path that's no clue. that huge. But I did everything backwards. I mean, I had my first amateur fight after 10 days of learning how. I had a handful of amateur fights and immediately turned pro. My first pro fight was against a girl who was 18 and two and I was 0 and 0 as a pro. So I did everything backwards. I had a few pro fights and then I fought for my first world title. And fighting for my first world title, the training for that was rigorous. Uh, it got to the point where 
you know, I was doing a thousand push-ups a day and wow, 12 rounds of hitting the bag, 12 rounds of mitts, 12 rounds of sparring, 15 rounds of sparring with all men. All in one day. Yeah, all in one day. And, and oftentimes mm. your the workouts were t twice a day. So we called them twofers. So you just work out and eat and sleep. I didn't get to eat much. <laughs> you don't eat much. I didn't get to eat much. I didn't have time because I'm running the school. I'm also training in full time. I'm waiting tables. That's amazing. Oh. It was insane. That is insane. Yeah. But um, it paid off. It paid okay. off. Okay. You know, I, on my first world title fight, I had my ribs broken a week before the fight. Really? Yep. So I took the fight anyway. Fought anyway. Damn. <laughs> You're yeah. tough. One, thank God. And <laughs> but I don't know. I, going looking back, I would never change it. Yeah. You know, the experience was incredible. It really did help mold and shape me to who I am today. And the worst part about all mm -hmm. of that, although maybe the best part about mm -hmm. all of that, was that my boyfriend was also horribly insecure, highly manipulative, sociopathic, and horribly abusive. Really? He was a monster. Yeah. So it gave you tools. Not that it gave me tools. I refused to hit him. Uh-huh. The tools it did give me was learning how not to treat people, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be caring. I, I can't hit somebody that I care about. I'm just not wired that way. Uh-huh. No matter how mad I am at them. Yeah. I, can't, I just can't bring myself to hit somebody that I like and I care about. Clearly it was different with him, but in teaching, you know, I fell in love with teaching, he fell in love with money. Okay. And eventually I, I ended up leaving to save my life. How old were you when you left? 29. You were with him a long time. Yeah, yes. 12 years. That is... That's okay. I, yeah. Again, I wouldn't change it. I'm grateful for the experience. I understand that, yeah. Because yeah. it's those things in life that really make us... The or break us. <laughs> yeah. But when they make us... Yeah, yeah, sometimes they break us, but then sometimes. we come back out of it. And, yeah. You know, we have those scars, but we're better for it. I agree. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. But, you know, it's, it's always up to your perspective. Yes. You know, if you, if you have that victim mentality, you're going to carry it the rest of your life. And everywhere you go, you'll be that victim. That's right. Like, in fact, that, that's funny. I w was hoping you'd touch on that a little bit because um, that's what this episode's about. And right. I was thinking about that driving over here, how people that, that are attacked, you know, they're either, uh, and you know this way better than I do, they're not paying attention, they're not present. Right. Or they're giving off some sort of victim vibe. They're giving off a victim vibe, and there's a part of them that I, when I teach the women self-defense, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've, I've sat and looked at, you know, police reports on rape victims and, and rapists and serial killers and serial rapists and, and people who are just hooked on the control of somebody else mm -hmm. because they had, don't have any control themselves. It's typically why they do that. Okay. Okay. Now, you take somebody who's very insecure and has zero self-confidence they're walking around emanating the fact that they are insecure and they don't feel comfortable in their own skin. And that's going to attract the predators. It's going to attract the people who want to have control over that. That's true. Yeah. I mean, we all know that to an extent. Uh, I have found that I'm very sensitive to different people and their emotions that but if somebody is constantly apologizing, I find myself losing patience with them and feeling less sympathetic to a victim type person, even though they may be somebody who needs help more than anybody. Yep, and you even find yourself getting mad at them. Yes. It happens. Yes. <laughs> it does. I've been working with this, this one of my students who's a friend mm -hmm. for the last year who has been I mean, we're talking severely insecure, so much so that I mean, she was horribly abused as a child. Mm -hmm. And at age five, she developed a protective mechanism that was 
started out as a voice in her head. I mean, like in her mind, she clearly heard this voice. It was a voice that she felt at five years old was outside of her. Oh. And at that time comforted her and helped her and gave her advice and looked out for her. But as she's gotten older with her insecurities, it's gotten far worse where the voice would say something like she'd see someone in the parking lot who's overweight and that voice would say you see that person yeah that's you you look worse than that oh yeah the voice you're never gonna do this you're never blah 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 and you know it's it's, it's her inner voice yes but in her mind she believes that it's something outside of her that is speaking to her and I studied psychology long enough to know that it is a defensive mechanism that happens Mm -hmm. and that that can manifest itself in a way that sounds like a voice in your head. Yes. Yeah, it starts off as something that's meant to protect you, but then it becomes abusive itself. Right. And I've been working with her for the last year, and it's only the last four months that... You know, I, I see her as her, and I can see the difference when she's being controlled by the voice and, oh. and when she's not being controlled by the voice. And uh-huh. she's starting to see it herself. So it's super helpful in that regard. But, you know, again, victim mentality. Yes. She's used to being the victim, used to being abused, used to... Um, I mean, it was so bad that her mother, although this this my student is incredibly intelligent, she's very smart, but her mother... Uh, made her go to school as a special ed student. Uh-huh. Yes, and told her all her life she was stupid and an idiot. And who are you going to believe first? Your mom. Your, your mom. Yeah. It's horrible. And so when people become adults and and then they become cognizant of the fact that they are a victim, right? What are some of the things that they can do? I mean, you with the, because. Martial arts is not just a physical activity, it's it mental isn't. as well. What I've been teaching her to do, and what, I, and what other people can start learning to do is, um, you know, when, when someone suggests that you sit down and you meditate, they say, why don't you try meditation? <laughs> yeah. And you go, okay, what the hell does that mean? Right. How do I meditate? What do I do? Do I sit down in a quiet room and, and then what? The voices are super loud then because it's quiet in the room, and now what? Exactly. Yes. So, in in those instances, I would say try a moving meditation. It could be something as benign and simple as ironing your shirt. Yes. But you become so focused on ironing the shirt that you can not necessarily hear or even block out the voices that are going on in your head that are causing you to feel horrible, right? Mm-hmm. It could be running. It could be driving. It could be literally anything. When I do uh, the healing work with people, especially the student of mine, I, I, I've only done one with her, and for 40 minutes straight, she heard no voice, and she That's didn't know what to do. She m- it must have been uncomfortable in a way, too, was, because she kept saying, your constant I don't companion. I don't, believe it. I don't believe it. I don't hear anything. I don't wow. hear anything. Normally, I'd look across and see this, and my vo- the voice would be going blah, blah, mm. blah. And I said, look, here's what's going on. You are becoming more of you, of who you are. Let's say her name is Shelly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Shelly's become more of, she's becoming Shelly. She's realizing who Shelly is. And Shelly is not the voice that's telling her that she's a piece of shit. Yeah. Pardon my language. That's okay. Okay. She's not that. She's not fat. She's not ugly. She's not stupid. She's not all these things. Because you're realizing now, I'm showing you, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm showing you how... The Shelly that I know is not the Shelly that the voice is telling you mm-hmm. who you are. Yeah. And I said, now, you had 40 minutes of complete and utter freedom in your head. It was quiet. You did that. I didn't do anything special. All I did was get you into a theta state, and you did that. Yeah. So because you did that for 40 minutes, you can do it again. And so I taught her how to do a med- meditation. In in the healing session that I did with her, it was just, I had her focus on the music. Listen to the music and breathe a certain way. Uh-huh. So focus on the music and the breathing, and that's it. Yeah. That's all you have to focus on, and it Make, works. Keep it simple. Right. So talk about that, because you went from this 
upbringing. It's interesting, too. We'll talk later. I was living on my own at 17 as well. My senior year of high school, I was living with my boyfriend. There you go. And, um, yeah, it was different <laughs> than most everybody else I went to school with. But, so, you went from these, where your your parents ran away, they deserted you, and, and, and you found... Thank Rose God, you, you found this person that that gave you some direction. This man, <laughs> what the abusive the, one? No, no, no. The <laughs> oh, Patrick. Pa- yeah, the that other. was that was just a few years ago. But oh, I thought like when you were when you first started in martial arts. Oh, martial arts. That was the abusive boyfriend. Oh, oh Ron Granville. Oh, the Aikido instructor. Yes, as a yes, kid, just, as I was fourteen. Just sometimes. You know, it, it just takes that person. For me, it was my drama teacher. Right. And, and it was just that one person that, that cares and gives you a different perspective. Exactly. And then it gives you something to hold on to. So then you went into, you got the adrenaline rush, you the, the, the physical combat of coming up against your own limits and going past that. And then time goes on, and then you go into healing work. And which is what you were just talking about, this right. healing work you do. So what is that that you're doing? Uh, well, let me back up just a tiny bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, when we moved into that trailer park that was right next to March Air Force Base, and I snuck onto March Air Force Base every day. Okay. I mean, a high-ranked, high super strict military compound place, and I sneak on as a 14-year-old kid. I snuck on to base. I crawled through a ravine that ran along the base, that ran, ran into the base, and the ravine that was ran along the side of the trailer park, perpendicular, right? So it met like this, and the ravine went out that way into the base, uh-huh. and I just ducked down and crawled under the fence, and you found a way found in. Found a way to get in okay. every single day, and I snuck out every day. Okay. Snuck in, <laughs> snuck out. So <laughs> when I was 10, we had just moved to that park, and I didn't know, um, you know, it had a pool and a playground, and uh, I didn't know anybody there because I had just moved in. A couple months later, school's, o- school's out, pool opens up, and I'm playing in the pool, and I get shoved in because nobody knows me. They just playfully yeah. threw me in, and I drowned. And I was dead for about three minutes. Wow. Which is probably the most profound experience I've ever in this in this physical being I've Kay. ever experienced. Yeah. And... You know, I. It's not that I knew I would be doing this, but people sometimes say, "What is the reason I'm here? What is my purpose on this earth? What am I here to do?" And sometimes they don't like hearing. I mean, I, I, I completely and fully understand what we're doing here and why we're here and what we're what we're supposed to do what we're not supposed to do and in the realm of heaven there is no hatred there's no fear there's no jealousies there's no insecurities it just doesn't exist it, it it's not conceived of it's not a possibility there it doesn't exist there's only love and whatever stems from love yes so in order for the soul to experience insecurities and hatreds and jealousies and fears and all these other experiences that it knows not. The soul inhabits the body to experience that. Experientially, it's it's evolving and growing through the experiences that we go through. Yes, yes. That's why the tough stuff are the things that uh, we're most grateful for in the end. Yeah, indeed. Even mm-hmm. though we hate going through it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Winston Churchill said, when you're going through hell, keep going. Oh, that's good. That's <laughs> good. Yeah. What is it? Um, oh, one of my favorite quotes in a book, and I'll get it wrong. It's in the Poisonwood Bible, but it's, uh, well, honey, you got to get down the street one way or the other, so you might as well pick up your knees and pick up the pace. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> yeah, just keep going. Whatever just you keep do, don't going. stay there. But yeah. a lot of people um, 
I won't go into that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, we could just go on, a, oh, on sure. several tangents right now. Oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll reel it back into... Okay, so I told you backing up. What mm-hmm. got me into the healing work now? Um, I've been wanting to do that. I've been wanting to find... I, I was always a, care, a, a caring person. As a kid, you know, especially after I drowned, I saw everybody in a very different perspective. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and I, I gravitated to the adults that, you know, had a you know, decent intelligence and uh, understanding of who they were. And I couldn't, I didn't really get along with kids my age because, you know, their, their maturity level was lacking hugely. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time. So I just stayed with my, myself a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Vigil was, you know, he and I be- met when we were 12. Oh, really? We've been friends ever since because, uh. you know, he, like me, saw through people and saw, you know, who they were and what they're about and the bullshit. And I think because of what I did see, you know, I, I'll look somebody in the eye and, you know, I'll, I'll know if they're operating from their heart or they're operating from their ego. And yeah. I, I know instantly, you know, their character and who they're, what they're about. I can't tell you specifically details unless something comes to me and shows itself to me, which has happened. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, when I look at people in the eye, I know who they are. And yeah. You know, when it came to... When it came to working in the bar, you know, bouncing in a bar and, and dealing with people there... Even though they're impaired, you can still tell there's good people and there's, there's people who are, you know, just so confused and so lost and so angry at themselves and so hurt. And that's almost always why they behave the way they do. And those are the most dangerous people. A lot of times they are. They're, they're so unpredictable from yeah. our, other, our standpoint. We can't relate to what's going on inside them. Right. Well... It's interesting how the, the ego works and that it's always going like this. You made me do this. Yeah. Because you did that, I did this. Because you, because you, because you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Instead, they should be saying, you did this, and you did this, and you did this, and you chose this, and you can always choose. And we all know those people. I, we, many of us have those people in our own families. <laughs> yeah. And many, many, there are instances when we've been those people. Sometimes yeah. I I have seen myself be that person, and sure. when I step outside of that, ooh, don't like that much. Yeah, yeah. It's okay though, you know. It's yeah, as long as you're yeah changing your perspective again. To see who. That's the hard part, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as we get older, it gets more interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. You know, so I've always want, had an interest in helping people. Yeah. Um, as a kid, it was hard for me to relate to kids my age, so I clung to the adults, and I just, you know, all I had so many teachers who were good friends, you know, all growing all through high school and junior high, uh-huh. um, and the the few friends that were my age that I had, I still have, they're still my friends, yeah, 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 uh, and and getting in in the world of martial arts, you know, and, and winning the titles that I did, I was so lucky that I was fighting at that time because I got a lot of media coverage. If I hadn't gotten the media coverage, it wouldn't have meant anything. I mean, I wouldn't be so quote-unquote famous in that, in that genre, in that world. Yeah, yeah, because it's so all about the media I and got getting lucky. the word out. Yeah, yes. I got lucky. And, you know, then I did some low-budget films and um, did choreogra- you know, choreography in a bunch of films. And it just, you know, it, it snowballed from there. But... There are so many people who know who I am. They know who I am. Oh, yeah, I know Kathy Long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know who you are. At all. No. No. And this little interview is just like a tiny little unpeeling away of some layers. But, yeah, there's so much more. Yeah, it's okay, though. You know I mean? Yeah. I know that early on, when I was a public figure in that, in that world... Mm-hmm. I realized that, you know, I, I have to be the kind of person that someone can look up to. Not just in front of the camera, 
but in in life yes you know, I have to be and it wasn't so much that I did it because I wanted to be the right person for them it was like you know okay I had I've gone through hell and back I know what that's like I know how to help people who's gone through hell and back I know I help I know that perspective I know it well um, but I also know that you don't have to be that yeah and you know to to be to live with integrity to live with you know decent morals have I done things that I regret of course but you know to dwell on that doesn't help because if you keep looking backward while you're walking forward you're gonna run into things that's right it sucks that's right <laughs> yeah. it does and we've done that too we've Have all done all. that yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah but I totally agree with you any any bit of um, media coverage any bit of fame that you can get the the people that I admire the most are the ones that use that to to help other people not not just for themselves not just for others but the fact that like spreading love out there just makes it grow bigger and bigger I mean it just keeps getting more because you know what you're the only one in the room yeah no here's what I mean by that okay you're the only one in the room because we're all connected we're all one right yes there's only one of you you hurt somebody else you're hurting yourself you help somebody else you're helping yourself it's the way it works yes I loved this. Thank you so much for mm-hmm. for talking with me today. It was Is it over? such a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Is it over now? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That was too quick. I know. I know. That's why I said I got to keep track of time because that's all right. <laughs> but you're going to need to edit it and put it all together and make it sound like uh, we didn't jump around all over the place like yeah, I did. Yeah, which, no, you didn't really. <laughs> I felt like you I did. No, you didn't. But, um, yeah, so let me just take a couple seconds here. So that was our interview today on Jackie's Hand of Horror. And, uh, wow, we got kind of deep in there (laughs) in some good ways. I enjoyed that very much. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. Very welcome. My pleasure. So for things we love today, and that is our ring finger, uh, these are things that we love so much that uh, what would we do with them for this one? God, we love them so much. I think in this case, I'd put it up on a, on a mountaintop and sing to it. Oh, this one I love so much that I would... I, I can't even do something like creepy to to this. It's I would love it so much that I would transcend and <laughs> right and do something nice. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. It was like I would shift to something Yeah. Totally I don't know. I was I would unkidnap it. Set it free. Set it free. <laughs> I would unshackle it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And the things that we the things that we love today is the empowerment empowerment movement of most recent it's been a hard time it's been a really tough god over a year or so on and longer than that of course it's it's been tough being women for one thing uh over the course of humanity but but um all this awareness in the last year or so as tough as it's been we're starting to see a shift now a transformation that is so positive and we're seeing people, women and men, have this new awareness and, and these new connections and conversations. And that's what we want to talk about mm-hmm. today. Yeah, I agree. And I can, I mean, I'm just going to try to speak from my own personal experience, because I think in this case, that'll be the most valuable. But um, for me personally, I feel like there's this whole shift in understanding of the, the experience of what it is to be a woman. I mean, up until a couple years ago, I didn't even realize that men that I knew, you know, like friends, my husband, relatives, whatever, like they didn't understand some of the things that women had to go through. Like if you're, if you have to walk anywhere on a daily basis or regular basis, you are going to get comments, cat calls, sometimes really rude, aggressive stuff. Um, And sometimes scary stuff that, that makes you feel like, "Hmm, should I... Well, this is the thing too. Like I've been in different situations and had different things said to me, 
where I didn't even think, oh, I should tell the store clerk or oh, I should call the cops because it was so common. Yes. You know, people saying lewd comments or being aggressive or trying to get me where I'm by myself with them or whatever and, and have it be such a common thing that I never reported it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that most men didn't, you know, like it's being brought up now. It's something that I feel like people are talking about. And most men that I am close to had no idea that it was going on like that. And some people didn't believe it. Well, like you said, you, you told me a story about a friend a mutual friend of ours whose um, husband is a very enlightened man. And that uh, he said something to her, what just, About just walk through the walk park through the park to get home. Yeah. To get home. And she was pretty shocked that, that he said that. Right. Right. Because he was like, well, why don't you just walk through the park? <laughs> well, alone at night. Yeah. And, and then she was equally surprised that he thought nothing of doing that himself. And and the whole story surprises me because you think you know something and all of a sudden you shift and you're like, wow, that's true. Yeah. It's people com- aren't being, know, they're not denying things as much as they're just, maybe there's just not an awareness. It's not, yeah. I think it's a complete reality shift. The fact that that I didn't know that other people weren't, aware <laughs> that yeah. this was going on because I feel like, Oh really? Duh. I mean, it happens all the time. What are you talking about? Like no, no woman I know would just walk through the park at night, even in the day. Sometimes if there's areas like, I feel like as a woman, most women just know if there's certain areas where, you know, you'll be secluded and there's not like an, an ex- exit point. There's not like an entry and an exit point. You aren't going to go past that area. Right. Or if you have to, you're going to, hyper aware hyper aware and go through quickly right yeah everything's just changing and I'm really I'm really excited to see what happens now with uh, younger women and younger men because I mean I grew up I went to high school in the in the 70s and it was the women movement and my mother was uh very big with the, the women's organizations and equality. And um, so I grew up with very independent women. And yet uh, this shift is making me aware of things that I had just accepted mm-hmm. in life, that that this inequality is just the way it is. And now that I see this empowerment, I see these women coming out and being so creative and expressing themselves in a much more open way. And, and it's, it's just adding so much more color and flavor to everybody and to, to, to everything. Yeah. I think the fact that um, people are aware of what other people go through, especially when it's something that is such a negative thing that shouldn't be happening. Um, it's, it opens, you know how they say it, it built, it opens this door or whatever to conversation yes. so that things can maybe change, but as long as there's an awareness, I think it's just going to be greater support. And it goes into so many other areas. It's not just a, a man woman issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just raises, it raises overall awareness. I'm hoping. And it seems to be for, for all genders for for the earth, for animals, for a lot of other things. I'm just seeing a shift in overall consciousness. Mm-hmm. And this was a big kick in the ass for that. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see. So today on Jackie's Hand of Horror for Stranger Danger, I'm talking to a radio for a pinky section here. Hiya, radio. How you doing today? Good. <laughs> You're so funny. Where are we sitting? Where are we today? In a teepee. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it beautiful? You don't think so? It it's, is. <laughs> it's not remarkable for you. No, No big deal. 
She's like, in my life, no big deal. Isn't it beautiful, though? Yeah. Yeah. With the soft pillow. And the pillows. Last time we were in here, I fell asleep. With my dad. And your dad, my son, also fell asleep. When I woke up, you guys were all gone. Hi. And I was confused. Like, what? What? <laughs> What's going on here? That's exactly get what happened. To, get so, to the program. So you know what? Yeah, get with the program. So that kind of <laughs> falls in line with today's episode about stranger danger. And the fact that you should... Well, it's my house and my property. So sometimes you can totally relax. But when you're out in the world, you have to be careful. Like in the woods. Things and people that you do not know can attack you mm-hmm. and, or kidnap you. That's true. We're in the city, anywhere, right? Even the forest. In that the forest. cruel place. <laughs> okay, so I have two questions for you today on our podcast. Yeah, yeah. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say stranger danger? People running around and kidnapping people. So do you think there's a like a lot of people running around kidnapping people? <laughs> no. Okay. I was just making that as a joke. Okay. So I mean why I forgot what I was thinking about though. What do you what comes to your mind when you think of stranger danger? Hmm. Stranger people um, when you're out looking for someone, um, someone can, someone can, um, come behind you and, um, kidnap you. That's possible, yeah. So, can you tell me a couple ways that, to protect yourself? You could lick their hand. Lick That's, their hand? Kick them. Oh, kick them. Is that, wait, did you say lick their hand? Like, that would gross them out so much, they would, like, let you go? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that what your mom told you and your dad? No, actually, we were... (laughs) People would, um, like, my friends, we were playing a game, and someone came behind me like this, and, um, and I licked their hand. I had to. It's the only way I could actually breathe. And okay. then I would like their their arm. <laughs> do you think that would work? If, yeah, like. Ah, ah. Do you really think you could just like grow somebody out enough that they leave you alone, a grown up? I would lick them and try and bite them. Okay. And then kick them into pain. Okay. I'm very. Have you um in school? Did they ever talk about that stuff? We have a fire drill, earthquake drill. <clears throat> Stick with the program, me. Yeah. So. Um, and um, we had a protection one last time. We had to go to um, some place near the school. That's also technically. That's also technically the school. Uh huh. But like where you get. Um, what's it called? Food stamps or whatever. Okay. Yeah, we had to go there into the gym mm-hmm. and have lunch and tell your parent the people had, your mom and dad had to come pick you up because someone's in the schoolyard and the police were trying to get that person. That's why we had to leave. Because the police were looking for somebody, and you all had to go to a different place to be safe? Yeah, because it was a stranger. We didn't know. Wow. And then honey. we had another th- um, drill, but no one was in the schoolyard and stuff. Okay. Like, Miss Freilinger was talking about... um. Um... Um, like if someone threatened our school or something, we would ha- have to hide. Yes. And, um, yeah. Wow. So yeah. you've done those things and those drills. Yeah, because of stranger danger. That's right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us because 
if not for you, how would we know what real real kids are dealing with today? Thank you, honey. I love you so I, much. I don't know how I know this much stuff about Stranger Danger. It's funny. Because you took, because the school taught you and you remembered, and that's really good. And also because I licked someone. Because <laughs> they were trying to fake kidnap. Louis, <laughs> someone. Well, thank you for joining us once again on Jackie's Hand of Horror. We've had another great episode here with my team, with with Tanya. This is Tanya. And myself and our tech support, Quinn and Natalie and the rest of the crew at the Revival League podcast.